0: Our listeners know that no matter how hard I try, I, I always try to bring things back to food. And as you were describing what direct indexing is, I immediately thought of a pasta sauce, right? Because you can go <laughs> to the store and you can get pasta sauce. And then obviously there's, depending on the store, you're going to get a bunch of different versions, right? There's going to be your marinara, your classic. They're all different sort of versions of the same thing, but they have more in common than they do what differentiates them but even still i'm willing to bet that a vast majority of people don't just open up the jar and pour it over their noodles they put a couple
1: a little salt
0: they put a little <laughs> bit of just well, a little oregano, oregano, just oregano just a little bit of oregano or some basil because they they personalize it and that's what makes it theirs <laughs> and i think that's the thing that that i think at least helped me to understand the idea Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian.
1: And I'm Kirsten. And today we're talking with Rich Compson, who is the head of the retail managed accounts at Fidelity. And this is kind of a special treat because we normally don't have guests on the podcast so we're excited to learn something new and hopefully the listeners do too but selfishly i'm okay like if if it's just us that learn something new (laughs) so like i said at the top uh rich works for fidelity and he's responsible for their 600 billion dollar suite of retail wealth and digital managed account offerings which basically means he oversees the management of all their existing offerings and the development of new investment solutions and services to help customers reach their financial goals. So it's kind of like a high-level, very bio-speak definition of what you do. Rich, can you tell us a little bit about your role and kind of what you're responsible for at Fidelity?
2: Well, first, thanks a lot for having me on your show today. It's uh, excited to to share with you. And yes, I can convert that kind of technical bio into how I would talk about it with my family. And I, I like to summarize that, you know we'll b- build products and services, financial planning to help people reach their financial goals. So most customers need help in achieving those goals, and our job is to think about what those goals are and how can we create products and services to make it easier for them to be successful. So when you get below the the covers of what that means, we'll create financial planning tools to help people plan out their financial lives. And we'll also create investment products that they can invest in to meet those plans and goals. And those are the the high level areas.
0: I love it. That's great. I'm, I'm also, it sounds like uh, you don't describe yourself or introduce yourself at cocktail parties the way Kirsten introduced <laughs> you. Because your first name is rich. <laughs> it is rich. I,
2: I, I definitely I definitely go by rich and I like to talk about come at a cocktail party, how I might help you versus what the job description might be. <laughs> um, and I, I usually find that's a little easier if people can put it in a personal context.
0: I love it. I love it. So our average listener, our typical listener knows uh, what a mutual fund is and why they're so popular. But can you talk just a little bit about ETFs and the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund? Because I think people do oftentimes see the two, it adds to the confusion, but hopefully you can help us to clarify that for those out there who may be confused.
2: Sure. Happy to. And. You know, when I think of mutual funds, a mutual funds are a great invention to help people buy a diverse set of stocks and bonds that they might not be able to buy on their own individually. And there was a way to package them up as as a product that allows you to buy multiple products and and services at the same time, or multiple stocks and bonds at the same time. The way a mutual fund works is you typically invest and you. You get the price of whatever that fund is at the end of the day so they get priced after the market closed at the end of the day the primary innovation that happened with etfs is the ability to buy and sell the product throughout the day so you were getting a market price of if the s p was going up and down during the day you could actually buy it wherever the s p was during that day if that was as an example so that, that's a and that's why they're called exchange traded funds. It's the ability to buy and sell it on an exchange. Uh, most people don't actually see exchanges anymore because you go online and you you you'll put a buy and order on a on a website. Uh, but in the background, what's happening is those products are being cleared through an exchange. But again, primary difference is how you know how they're actually traded. One's at the end of the day based on the market close, and one of them is based on the price during the day.
1: Yeah, I think going back to your role in, in developing innovative solutions, one of the more exciting developments in fintech has been the decline of trading costs. So I know that there are many brokerage firms, including Fidelity, that now offer zero commission online stock and ETF trades. Can you tell us why trading costs have gone down over time? And what does that mean for, I guess, the evolution of financial products?
2: Yeah, and if you, that's great. And if you go way back in the day, if you were going to buy and sell a stock, you'd probably call a broker and they would help you place a trade. And, uh, you know, part of the cost was you're paying for that person's time to execute that, that trade for you or put the order, the order in. And the biggest change has just been the continuing evolution of technology to make that more seamless, like as many things in our, our life that have been replaced by, by technology. And you know now you can go buy and sell trade orders throughout the day on multiple different websites, and that is what effectively has lowered the cost and price over time. Is because it's become very, very highly automated and, and very open to many consumers.
1: Would you say that it's expanded the type of consumer that's interested in in ETFs, or is it more so that people just do it more often because it's cheaper? <laughs> Well,
2: I, that's a really good uh, question and point. I, I think the other thing that technology is, is done is um, made the experience of um, buying and selling a stock much easier than it, than it was or an ETF in the, in the past. And there's also a lot more education online than there, mm-hmm. there once was, whether it's from uh, Fidelity or other sites like that or even on social media and the like. There's lots of places where you can get informed and learn about investing and investing in stocks than there were back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think between the the general knowledge improvement as well as the ease of doing has definitely increased the number of people that are out there trading and investing directly.
0: I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but that's typically code for I'm about to put you on the spot.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so for saying.
0: <laughs> you know, as I'm thinking about uh, my own experience as an investor, I've never been an active trader, but I know there are a lot of people out there who are. What are we talking about here when we talk about the reduction of trading fees? Uh, I remember it was uh, a pretty big deal when it came out, right? It was like now it's basically free. You can do it. And and obviously, to Kirsten's point, it encourages more people to do it. But, like, are, are you, do you have any numbers that you can add to that just to kind of give people a perspective to say maybe, you know, 10 years ago, it may have costed you X to do it. And now those costs don't exist?
2: Yeah, I mean if you go back and I don't know exactly the date and number but I think you it was pretty common that trades were in the 9 dollars to trade and then they dropped to the 5 6 dollars a trade and to wow. your point now they're essentially free. So, you know, just in a very short period of time it's quickly gone to zero uh, as a cost across different platforms. So, it's basically made trading open to everyone. Obviously, you have to have some money to invest and you have to start there in terms of the cost of actually investing Beyond the amount the you're investing is, is essentially free.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the future because I think at this pace, we may get paid to trade. <laughs> 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 we look forward to having you back on to talk about <laughs> this next level of innovation where people are giving you money and sending you money and inviting you to do it. But I won't hold you to it. Um, I do have a question uh, because one of the other things that we're really excited about, especially in recent years, you know, when we think about the removal of barriers to invite more people into uh, being active participants in their financial life through investing. But one of the things that I'm particularly excited about, and I'd love to get your your opinion on it, is our fractional shares, uh, which, you know, is kind of a good thing and a bad thing. There are a lot of people, I think, that still don't know what that is. And so hopefully we can check that box here. But when one, what are fractional shares and two, how do fractional shares make financial products more accessible to the average investor?
2: Yeah, great great question. And you know, I think the easiest way to do it is just describe it in buying a stock. So if you wanted to buy an individual stock, I'll, I'll make one up that most people know is like Apple. If you wanted to buy Apple stock and you wanted to buy a share of Apple stock, you would have to have the minimum value of the share to be able to invest. That's the unit you would have to, to buy. And Apple's share price has gone up and down the great thing about fractional shares is if you want to buy say in this case the, the, the cost of a share is a hundred dollars and you say well i only want to invest fifty dollars today you could effectively with your fifty dollars buy half a share so it, it just makes the buying increment a little easier particularly for some stocks that have very large stock prices if you can buy a part of a stock it just allows you to be more accessible based on the amount you have to invest that that today and i I think about in a lot of investors that are just trying to get started. They might be saying, "Well, I'm going to take a little bit of my paycheck every week and and put a deposit in, and it allows them that just incremental amount of investment to to buy into a particular share. Without fractional shares, they might have to accumulate a certain amount of cash in their account before they could buy that share, and this allows them to get invested more quickly along the way. So, I think it's a huge innovation. It ties into the the comment about Technology as well in the background, you know, the ability to trade around fractions and fractions of shares is really the innovation that allows this to happen. And again, to the bottom line, just making it more accessible to, to more consumers.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. And and I'll also speak a little bit to my own experience. I remember back in the day, you know, having my heart set on particular funds that I wanted to buy and, you know, trying to save up enough money to go ahead and make that first uh, purchase. But then maybe there was a shift in the price or something like that. And then you got to miss out on those opportunities. So uh, this type of innovation certainly removes that barrier. But as I'm thinking about people who might be experiencing uh, that now, and they're literally just learning about fractional shares Uh, The natural question might be, well, how low can you go? Because in your example, you said, well, I only have half. Well, what if you only have a quarter? What if you only have a tenth? I mean, is this pure? Is this a fraction in the purest sense of the word? Like you can literally put however much you have and buy the tiny sliver so. <laughs> i just want a slice of an apple like how how thin of a
2: slice <laughs> like of <laughs> <apple>? <laughs> you can pretty much go as small as you want and and the the nice thing is when you're buying stocks with fractions you start thinking about more how much do i want to invest versus how many shares do i want to buy mm-hmm. you kind of flip the question around, which is which is typically how most people you know people think about buying things in life they think well I, i'm i want to invest five dollars i want to invest 50 dollars, and then. And then you can see how much. So it, you know, it again, it makes investing a little bit more simple. It's like, how do I create a dollar equivalent? Because not many people walk around saying, "Well, I want to buy X shares of a of something." They're like, "No, I have you know fifty hundred dollars or whatever it is that I want to invest, and how much can I get with that?" And that's yeah. that's how it turns the equation around. Um, yeah. Do you use slices? If you wanted to buy apples, you could buy you know one apple or as many apples as you want. But you know, it's like, oh, I have x amount of money to spend on apples today and that's what i'm going to do
1: i love that uh, like last year i tried to make a phrase happen it was called impulse investing impulse investing something mm-hmm. like that but it was basically a counter to impulse shopping where it's like if you are in target which is my weakness and you see that thing <laughs> that's 13 dollars instead of buying it you could pick up your phone and like invest the 13 dollars hence impulse investing never caught on. It was it was not a very popular term, but the way that you framed it, I think that paradigm shift is so important because you're right. Nobody thinks in terms of like fractions of shares, they think about how much money they have and they want to do something good with it. And so this is just one tool that, you know, allows them to do that. A, a new to me term that I learned while preparing for this episode, which actually is a thing is direct indexing. So direct indexing is not a new strategy, but it feels like it's become more popular as people want to customize their portfolios. And in some cases just have more flexibility when it comes to the stocks that they own. For those who are like me, who may not be familiar with the term, how would you describe direct indexing to someone who's never heard of it before?
2: Uh, I think that probably the easiest thing to do is to start with something they do know. And for me, The way i like to extend it is if you have an index that's out there say the s p 500 i'll use that as an example you could buy an index fund which would give you a single fund that would hold a portion of every stock in the s p 500 and it basically gives you an investment exposure that looks like the the s p and all the stocks that are in it so if you think that's a basic what an an index fund is, then you could take it to an ETF, and an ETF would be the same thing. But back to our definition, it's an index fund that you can effectively trade any time during the day. So waiting instead of waiting or waiting at the end of the day, you could buy during the day. So then you build on that with direct indexing, and what direct indexing is, the direct part of it is instead of buying a fund you're actually owning all the individual stocks that are in that index. And when I when I say all the individual stocks, there's a nuance there. If you were gonna buy a, a direct indexing solution that re- reflects the S&P 500, you can actually buy say 100 stocks or 200 stocks that, that have the same kind of return and risk characteristics of the S&P and 500, but you do it with less because as you add more and more stocks that to a portfolio that actually start to look like the, the returns stay the same. So direct indexing is really about how do you buy an index directly, and you actually hold the the underlying stocks. Now, on face value, that sounds really complicated. Yeah, right? I was just about
1: to <laughs> say, who would do this <laughs> and
2: what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, if you, if you were going to go in like, wow, I'm going to go in and plunk in 100 different tickers or 200 different tickers or stock stock symbols to buy this. What uh, direct indexing allows you to do is you can uh, buy the product and we will invest and buy all the shares for you. So you basically say, oh, I'd love to have this direct indexing solution. And then companies like Fidelity will actually buy the individual stocks in your account for you and then trade them for you too. Mm. So then the question is, well, why would I do that? And, you know, there's there's a couple key advantages to direct indexing. One is it allows you to express maybe some personal preferences you have about the stocks within an index you might have. So, for example, uh, uh, a good example of that is ESG investing. You, you might say, well, I, I would love to own an index fund that looks like the S&P 500. But within that, I'd really like to focus on companies that may reflect certain social or environmental or other values, as an example. And then what you can do is you can apply that preference, and then within the S&P 500, only buy those stocks that reflect your preference, but still get the same kind of returns that you would get if you bought the Mm S&P. So personalization is, is one view of that. Another example of personalization is you could say, back to my example, well, I already actually own a lot of Apple. So I'd like to buy the S and P, but I want to do it without Apple because I already have that someplace else. So you could extract that out and buy the rest of the S and P, or even broader, you could say I want to remove a sector. So personalization of basically think about it: I can have my own, you know, Kirsten, uh, you know, index fund, and you Um. can create what you what you want. And the other major advantages is over time if you are buying investments in an account where you're subject to taxes. So if you think of investing, you could invest in an, an IRA or a 401k. And the way that works is your assets grow over time and you don't pay taxes till you start taking money out. But if you buy stocks or bonds in, a, in an individual brokerage account, if you're trading that over time, you're subject to taxes related to capital gains and dividends and the like. What direct indexing does is you'll, we look for opportunities to reduce those taxes as your account gets traded over time. Mm. And one of the key ways that we do that is, you know, as the market, if s and is going up and down over time, sometimes some stocks are going up and sometimes some stocks are going down. And what you can do is for the stocks at any given time that are going down, you can sell them and, and capture losses. And for the stocks that have gains, you can use those losses to offset gains. And in a day, what that does is reduce your taxes that you might pay on that portfolio over time. Gotcha. So probably a long answer, but uh, for your listeners, the, the two things to remember are it's a personalized index fund, effectively. So you can personalize around your interests. And to the extent that you're concerned about taxes you might pay on, on trading your portfolio over time, it's a way to reduce your taxes on your portfolio
1: was this historically something that only very wealthy or very experienced investors would take advantage of? Is that why it's new to me? <laughs>
0: or You're not rich it, enough. Yeah,
1: it might just, <laughs> is it something that, is it like some of the other things that we've talked about where it's just like over time it's become accessible. So for those people who have never heard of this, or it seems intimidating, like there's probably a good reason for it. Or is this just something that was very expensive to do before, and now it's just gotten cheaper. It really had nothing to do with wealth levels.
2: Well, it's 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 a good question, and you're you're right on the right on the thing. It comes back to our two themes. I think typically there was two drivers in the past. Historically, you had to go to an advisor to get access to these products and services. So that would typically drive the amount of wealth that you might have. And if you were if you were actually working with an advisor. And the second thing was this fractional shares concept, because if you wanted to buy 200 individual stocks or whatever the number is, you would have to have enough money based on their share price to buy 200. Mm-hmm. And now you can buy based on the dollar amount, like we talked about a little bit before. Mm-hmm. So the two major things that have, have made this product more accessible is you can now buy direct indexing solutions online versus going through an advisor and fractional shares have lowered the minimum investment. It, you know, at Fidelity, it's it's five thousand dollars for the investment. But if you think about where the minimums are of these products historically, it was more like a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, does. wow! And the way I like to think about it is, you know, back to our our comment around you know buying a stock. I realize that five thousand is still a significant investment for some, but it makes it much more accessible based on the amount you might have saved at that point in time to buy. And I suspect over time, it'll become even more accessible to customers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Our listeners know that no matter how hard I try, I, I always try to bring things back to food. And as you were describing what direct indexing is, I immediately thought of a pasta sauce, right? Because you can go <laughs> to the store and you can get pasta sauce. And then obviously there's Depending on the story, you're going to get a bunch of different versions, right? There's going to be your marinara, your classic. They're all different sort of versions of the same thing, but they they have more in common than they do what differentiates them. But even still, I'm willing to bet that a vast majority of people don't just open up the jar and pour it over their noodles. They put a couple
1: a little salt,
0: they put a little bit of just oh, a little oregano, just a little bit of oregano or some basil because they, they personalize it and that's what makes it theirs. And I think that's the thing that, that I think at least helped me to understand the idea because my very first thought was, Well, why would I just be reconstructing something that I could already buy? But then as I was thinking about it, I was like, Because, well, that's I'm a human being, eh? and what makes it mine <laughs> is my obsession of using five-year-old oregano that's been sitting in my cupboard. And, I, and
2: I'm trying to work the, uh, how do you get the tax savings out of oregano? Oh, and, about uh, but, but I was thinking if you, if you wanted to buy like, uh, you know, uh, some sauce with a little less sugar in it or something like that, maybe that's a way to think about it. I, I don't know.
0: I stopped where I stopped for a reason because <laughs> there was no way for me to say, okay, well, okay. And then I just gave up. But <laughs> that was enough, I think, to help people at least wrap their heads around the idea. But either way, it's it's always helpful uh, and important to factor in you know, the importance of taxes when it comes to investing. This naturally leads us to Fitfolios, which is this really cool new offering by Fidelity that allows uh, direct indexing. So can you tell us a little bit about Fitfolios and who it's right for and how it works.
2: Yeah, so maybe I'll start with who it's right for. I mean, if you're someone that's out there comfortable making some of your own investment choices, meaning you're buying index funds or ETFs or mutual funds today, and you're kind of building a portfolio of your investments, if you're comfortable with that level investing, then this product is an alternative for you to consider. And you can consider it as as a replacement or side-by-side with an index fund or an ETF today. So if you're comfortable, you know, kind of constructing your portfolio, buying products and services, you know, this this is the right idea for you. What we, we've done is if you think about index funds, they're available on different indexes. We've started with three options. One is uh, based on a U.S. Uh, stock index and one on an international stock index. And we do have an environmental portfolio that reflects largely the U.S. stock indexes with a focus on companies that have a lower impact to the environment. Mm-hmm. So you can go in online and enroll, in raw, and the product's called managed portfolios. In the processes, you select one of those indexes that you want to buy your solution towards, and then you can then personalize it. So to the the tomato sauce comment, you can go in and say, well, I don't want to hold that stock, or maybe I don't want to hold that industry or sector, and then I can personalize it. And then once you set that in place, we take over and then we'll actually build that portfolio in your account for you and trade and invest that portfolio. So you don't have to trade the stocks over that. You can go online and track how those stocks are doing, but we'll provide you how your portfolio is doing and then periodically keeping your portfolio in line. In line with your investment target, in this say, pick if it was an environmental portfolio, keeping that portfolio aligned over time. And if at some point you wanted to add additional money in, we would automatically invest in the appropriate stocks. So you just add money in the portfolio, we invest. And if you needed to move move money out of the portfolio for some kind of need, we would liquidate the stocks necessary to give you the dollars you're looking for from an earnings perspective, and then. On an ongoing basis, you know, we're watching for those movements in the market to offset tax gains and losses to kind of reduce your overall tax bill. And what we show you online is your tax savings uh, throughout the year that you can use when you file your tax returns or against maybe other investments you might have. So that's the the product at, at a high level.
0: You know, one of the other things that we we do focus on quite a bit, and in fact, it was one of the very first episodes we did, was about fees and, and asking people to be mindful of fees. And so, I think it's only fair to ask, well, how much does how much does it cost to buy this amazing tomato sauce?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the amazing tomato sauce costs it, it's and and fin- I'll use the financial term of forty basis points, but it's point four percent is what the the fee is overall, and. To me, the the key value that we like to say is on the tax savings side. Ninety five percent of our customers will save more in taxes than they'll pay in fees, so it mm-hmm. it, it pays off. And that's that's really how you get the value vis a vis other products and services is that that tax value. Obviously, you get value in your personalization as well. But if you look at the absolute returns and what it comes down to, the savings you get is is reduced taxes on your portfolio.
1: All right. Rich, we always end our podcast with a final thought, but I'm gonna put you on the spot for your final (laughs) thought now. We've talked a lot about innovation and accessibility, and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners, they didn't know a person like you kind of existed at these legacy, dare I say, old financial (laughs) institutions that's responsible for creating new innovations and removing some of the barriers so for anybody who might be hesitant to do anything new or involving technology or relying on you guys to help trade their accounts, is there any sort of encouragement or thoughts or data that you can share that might kind of push them a little, inch them a little closer to trying some of the the fintech technologies that many of us are benefiting from?
2: Well, I, I like to... I think about like what I would say to my family and, you know, my kids that are going out and being investors in the at the first first time. And yeah you got to start by just being a continual learner, spend time getting educated, getting understand, find people that you're confident in that are investing that you can learn from. My kids won't talk to me about investing, but I try. But, you know, how, how do you uh, find someone that you can approach and get and get comfortable with it? There's a, a lot of resources online to learn more and, and in a day also just start simple I you know we we've, we've talked about a variety of different products today but like a mutual fund or an index fund or, or is a good way to start and learn and, and get your toe in the water and just make sure that you know if you think about your financial your your plan that's like okay this is money that I can set aside that I might not need right away and you know, generally, over long periods of time, the, the market has returned variable, uh, very favorable uh, amounts of return. So the other thing I like to say is don't look at the market every day. If you're not investing money that you need every day, which you, you shouldn't be, keep a, keep a, a distance look at the market. Because over time, there's there's definitely volatility in the near term, but you got to look at the long term and the benefit. And it's a way to grow your wealth, to allow you to do other things in life over time. By just getting in early, so I I always encourage people to get started early and learn. I would say I wish I learned earlier in life. You know, it all sometimes it all comes down to the exposure you have in your family and everything else. But the the earlier you can get learned and comfortable, time is your friend with investing. The more, the longer you can invest over time, and the more you can learn, a the better you'll get at it, and the more you'll save. So I just encourage people to get started, and it's never too soon
1: yes
0: well thank you right. so much for the information and for spending some time with us i'm sure a lot of our listeners out there are really going to appreciate that they learn something and hopefully they are encouraged to take that first step so thanks for thanks for hanging out with us
1: they'll at least make some pasta <laughs> uh, some
0: custom pasta <laughs> well that was cool
1: that was cool
0: yeah we don't know we have guests no. what do you uh what do you think
1: should so- we do this more yeah, I did enjoy having a guest and a third perspective. I think my final thoughts are as we were walking through all of the technology innovations from mutual funds all the way to ETFs, all the way to fractional shares, I just felt like there's been so much innovation that I worry that people who are still investing the traditional way, which is just through their paycheck, just through their employer 401k, might be missing the boat to really personalize and individualize their portfolio to align to the things that they already believe in. So I'm happy that we were able to introduce a new product for folks who want to kind of accelerate or go to the, you know, level three, the the coll- collegiate level <laughs> of investing.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, if I wanted to go deeper, not that I'm having regrets over that conversation, but I, I really, you know, as I'm thinking about the removal of obstacles or barriers to investing, you know, the technology and the readily availability of it certainly helps. Fractional shares already help, but we just scratched the surface on it. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, I also really enjoy the idea of people being able to customize. And when I'm saying customize, I really mean remove because there are several companies, quite honestly, that conflict with people's personal values. And I see a world where people say, you know what, I certainly want to invest, I want to accomplish my financial goals, but I don't necessarily want to receive returns from yeah,
1: a company that I, don't company that I fundamentally
0: at. don't agree with. Yeah. I, I don't like their leadership or I don't like their contribution to society, right? And unfortunately, when you do take that simple, though effective approach with a total stock market index fund, there are lots of companies that are in there oh, yeah. that are polluting the environment, that mm-hmm. are... Producing guns and sort of benefiting from war.
1: Donating to political parties or people that you don't agree with.
0: Correct. And so this type of approach allows people to say, "Okay, I can do what I know to be true and do what I know to be effective, but also make sure that what I'm investing in is aligned with my values. And it's a really customized way that I think is a bit of an in-between uh, total stock market index funds and what they call ESG or environmental, social and governance investing. So I thought that was really cool. And I think there are lots of people out there that could benefit from this.
1: Yeah, completely agree. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the rich and regular podcast presented by success. One way to personalize your feedback is to head on over to the Apple ratings and review page. If you like what you heard, and we won't even charge you a fee for that. You can do that for free. (laughs) We will see y'all next week.